0: It's time now for Illinois Innovators, spotlighting the leaders in research, technology, and entrepreneurship from the engineering at Illinois community. Welcome to another edition of Illinois Innovators. I'm your host, Mike Kuhn. Today's guest is Ghul Agha, a professor of computer science and director of the Open Systems Laboratory at the University of Illinois. His widely cited work, Actors, a Model of Concurrent Computing in Distributed Systems, provided a basis for a number of research projects and concurrent programming. actor frameworks have been, using, been used to program Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook chat, the British National Health Service portal, and hundreds of commercial cloud applications. Together with Professor Bill Spencer, he directs the Illinois Structural Health Monitoring Group, the project pioneered research applying wireless sensor networks and distributed computing to continuously monitor the structural health of civil infrastructure such as bridges. Professor Aga, welcome to the program. Thank you, glad to be here. I just uh, maybe start from the beginning. Talk a little bit about concurrent programming and exactly what that is. So the uh, traditional
1: model of computing was basically like a recipe where you do one thing at a time. On the other hand, a lot of the computational power in the real world comes from multiple activities happening at the same time. Uh, agents, or um, societies, or even neurons. um, They all function in parallel. So parallelism is intrinsic to nature, and that's how we sort of get computational power in in natural systems. Inspired by this kind of view of parallelism, uh, there were notions of agents that, that grew, and the actor model captured that in a computational sense and said, um, okay, uh, let's assume we have lots of parallel activity, how are we going to organize this? And by encapsulating the state of each actor, one could then uh, start to think of the parallelism and decomposing problems.
0: So there's a lot of overlap there between uh, various uh, factors. Yeah, right. So it, it, it basically takes a different
1: perspective on computation and uh, fundamentally says, all right, uh, let's be inspired by the natural world and think in terms of autonomous um, actors, which are all operating concurrently, and then uh, communicate with each other by sending messages. So that's the basic model, and then new actors can be created so you're not fixed in terms of the amount of concurrency in a system.
0: So when you mean concurrent, can they start... So they si- start simultaneously, or can they can start kind of uh, staggered a little bit?
1: Yeah, so uh, the term concurrency means potential parallelism. So if you think uh, I- in terms of time, then each actor has a local clock. And then these local clocks may sort of be synchronized, or it, it has a local time. And you you can think of a local clock, and they may not be necessarily going at the same pace. And so uh, th- th- some actors might be operating slower, some might be faster, because they could be on different machines. Uh, and because an actor is a virtual entity, in an implementation, you might have several actors that are on the same machine, or you have several actors that are on many machines. So so it, this kind of makes the distribution transparent and separate from the architecture.
0: So you mentioned the word actor in terms... So um, talk a little bit about... Which, what what uh, you mean by actor and and where the term came from?
1: Yeah, so so the term was coined by Carl Hewitt, who was my PhD advisor back in the um, starting in the seventies, and then in the eighties I conceptualized a formal model for the actors and gave it uh, what we call a semantics, which says how do these actors behave and what do they do, and then uh, notions of when when are two actor systems equivalent and so on. So the idea was uh, that you could think of each individual program as having a role in a computation, much like an actor does on a stage, and, and making a contribution. And, of course, different actors may be doing different things at the same time.
0: So talk about the advantages of using this model. So
1: what it does is to c- uh, create the potential for parallelism without being committed to a particular architecture. The other thing that the ACT model has in, in its, uh, as an intrinsic basis is distributing memory. So if you think about memory, if you have shared memory, if you have different processes or different activities accessing the same memory, you'll have contention. Because uh, things may, you know, one may access it, the other may a- may write something else, and things can get very complicated. So that that's the model that was sort of adopted as um, a kind of a simplification in architecture I- in at some point, and people used to program. But that model is not very scalable with with the idea of sort of sharing the same memory. It would be as though you're sharing the same space. What the actor model does is to distribute the memory, which can provide security. So the only interface to this is the, what the interface the actor provides. Rather than, ra- r- rather than accessing directly to the internals, you can only go through this interface. So that simplifies the reasoning, and it encapsulates changes. It can keep those changes consistent within the actor.
0: So we mentioned um social media sites like Twitter and Facebook and LinkedIn and whatever why are they interested in this model Yes so th- the critical
1: thing was scalability they wanted to deal with hundreds of millions potentially users uh, s- and a fast way to do that was the actor model so th- they were initially implemented with the actor model and then they you know they, they then built up things So, for example, if you look look at Twitter, it's naturally distributed. Different people are tweeting. They may be tweeting concurrently. uh, Different people may be subscribing to different sets of tweets. So the system could be entirely distributed, and then it's a massive message-passing system. And so it's a very natural fit to this kind of um, organization, whereas uh, if you try to make it centralized or in, in terms of threads and shared memory, You'd have lots of interactions and contention to deal with, which wouldn't be isolated.
0: Do you meet with folks at uh, at these organizations, and they have questions or, or problems that they that they want you to solve? Yeah, so I have
1: uh, visited uh, uh, some some of these uh, pl- places. Uh, Microsoft's summit had, for example, uh, a workshop they did on actors and um, and and their Orleans system, which is an actor system, which has been very successful. So th- there are I- examples of interaction there, but now the model has become sort of like ether. It's uh, I- it's quite ubiquitous. So,
0: so there are numbers y- you mentioned. You mentioned one. Uh, talk about some of the, m- the 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 main ones out there that that folks may have heard of.
1: Yeah. So uh, there are some uh, frameworks in uh, Scala programming language, for example, has an ACA framework, and I know the developers of that framework that has been used in banks and in a number of places. The Erlang programming language is an actor-based language which uh, has also provided fault tolerance. And then there are, uh, the people have taken many pr- of their favorite programming languages and developed an actor framework around it. So this provides uh, the concurrency, it separates the memory, it, it allows for message passing. So they've essentially in implemented the, the model as a kind of framework on top of the of the uh, the language, and then added some runtime support,,
0: so you were kind of really uh, on the ground floor of this technology a little bit, along with you mentioned Carl Hewitt, who mm-hmm. he studied under um, who are the other players uh, in this field?
1: yeah, so uh, actually, my thesis came out in nineteen eighty six and uh, uh, and then you know we've worked since then we developed compilers, we did a um, uh, lot of innovations, we uh, developed interaction languages. There are literally hundreds of researchers in in, in the field. Um, and then we have, uh, s- since that time, we've been studying formal methods to reason about these actor systems. So Carolyn Talcott at uh, Stanford and Ian Mason at Stanford uh, at the time, and uh, Scott Smith at Johns Hopkins were some collaborators, and we developed the semantics of actor systems. Jose Meseca has uh, d- had an active framework in his Mod formal li- library to prove properties of systems. We've also worked on things like testing active programs, um, developed some technology for that. Uh, my former student Koshik Sen n- and I worked on that. He's now a professor at Berkeley. And, uh, and uh, another former student is a f- uh, faculty at um, RPI, developed an active framework called Salsa, which people have used in research.
0: You mentioned that the active framework is ubiquitous. uh, ubiquitous, uh, So talk about, uh, I would think if that's the case, then you're talking applications. Mm -hmm. Um, So uh, we mentioned one at the top, and I'll I'll save that one. But uh, what are some of the other applications that you uh, are working on?
1: Uh, So well, so we have, so personally, we've been working, we we did some kernels initially. terms of our compiler development, and since then I have moved to cyber-physical systems. We did some work on real-time systems and trying to get constraints, real-time constraints, and coordination problem was a critical problem. So one particular application that I've been collaborating with civil engineers on for the last 15 years is the application in civil engineering. So the problem is you have lots of infrastructure. Um, let's take the example of bridges. There's, there's close to $2 trillion in infrastructure um uh, spending that that's uh, that that we have in in just uh, investment in in bridges um actually that figure may be t- t- 20 trillion sorry um s- but uh le- let's take bridges as an example so we've got a few hundred thousand bridges in the US And by law, they're inspected every two years, and the railroads actually inspect them every year. But these inspections are visual. So what they do is they go and they look at a bridge. And uh, uh, so if there is some damage that's hidden, then they cannot see that damage. What we have uh, developed is uh, technology that, that, that we worked on to instrument this bridge, with wireless sensor networks. Now, the problem was, so people try have, th- there is technology with sensors which is wired. So that takes the data out and moves it to a central location. But when you go wireless, then uh, th- there is a question of sort of energy. Many of these bridges are out where there is no source of light or electricity, rather, uh, th- that um, can be used. So the bridge might be on railroad tracks somewhere and, there is no easy source of electricity. And wires also then require their own maintenance, and the cost of installation can be quite high. So what we were able to do was say, well, uh, can we use wireless technology? Now, when you, when you use wireless technology, you can uh, then take these uh, sensors and, and uh, let them be charged by, say, solar panels or something, and, and you don't need wiring for, for communication, and you don't need wiring for the, the energy source but um it takes a lot of energy to communicate all that data because uh, they, they would be doing high frequency sensing you're looking at the vibrations and these vibrations are are um uh, uh, at say 100 hertz you're you're recording a lot of data and this data needs to be processed so what we did was to apply the principles of actor oriented programming and say let's consider each sensor as as autonomous uh, like an autonomous actor, and let it do distributed processing. Computation is a lot cheaper than communication. So the, uh, so in, in this way, they can process the data locally. They can communicate if they need to with their neighbor, but we don't need to send the entire data set out from all the sensors. So w- what are we talking about? If you have a bridge, let's say, with um, uh, a, a kilometer-long bridge or something, That bridge may have on the order of 100 to 200 sensor nodes. And each of these sensor nodes um, will have three channels of vibration data. They might be strain gauges, there's temperature, some slower frequency data like temperature and light and so on. All of this masses of uh, data being collected by a single sensor now multiplied by 100 or 200. And you can see sort of the massive amounts of data that would be needed. But by doing distributed processing, we are able to let them compute locally and uh, and coordinate with each other and figure out if there's a problem. So when we instrument, we put a sensor uh, node on, say, let's say it's a cable state bridge. We would put it on every critical element of the structure, which can behave independently from the other elements. So each cable would have its own sensors. Each The pylons would have their own sensors, and then the uh, bridge surface would have its own sensors. And so we are recording from all these sources, and they can communicate with their neighbors and establish what the local modes are, what the local vibrations look like, and be able to then assess if there are changes in the structure, if they don't meet the reference criteria. Uh, And this is true for any large structure. So we had a project recently in Dubai, where they're building the world's Largest Ferris wheel. Now, during construction, things can uh, get out of sync because um, you have a massive structure, and this uh, Ferris wheel, you know, can can is uh, hundreds of feet across. Um, so th- they can uh, it, it it can get into unstable situations where I- the vibrations are do not look correct, and there can be accidents which are very expensive and could be possibly also dangerous. And then during operation uh, as well, things can go haywire. So you could have vibrations uh, that are not detected because nobody's observing them. So the first time ever, uh, we were able to instrument this during construction. And as it was being built and rotated and they were adding more uh, spokes to it, they were able to measure the, the vibration and see if there was anything wrong and once it's in operation, they plan to continue the monitoring continuously. So rather than somebody coming once a year, once every six months, once every two years, and looking at every single piece, um, this is continuously being observed by the auto- autonomic system,
0: the system itself. So I would think that doing this while it's constructed, you have a, a much more confidence that it's being constructed correctly.
1: Right, so and and if there are any issues, uh, th- those would surface before there's a catastrophic failure, and you can imagine the same thing with uh, tunnels or with any kind of sort of construction, where you can take you know where it is not feasible to wire, for example, in a, in a Ferris wheel, it wouldn't be feasible to even wire it, but even when you can wire it, it costs on, on a bridge or something, it costs two orders of magnitude more per channel. So we're able to bring down the cost from say ten thousand dollars per channel to a couple of hundred bucks per channel.
0: So talk about uh, kind of the timeline um, when this technology for bridges, this project that you and Professor Spencer have been working on, and you know implement implementation, because obviously bridges in this in the United States, particularly, we, uh, but even uh, you know around the world, there's there's a lot of um, you know it's. A lot of concern about the condition of our infrastructure, um, and obviously the monitoring is is going to be a huge piece to this,
1: right? And it it can help direct resources to figure out what needs maintenance, what should be prioritized. Uh, it can help the entire inspection process as well as increase continuous confidence. So we have been uh, so the university has licensed this software to a startup that we we started. We've done some signature projects, research projects, uh, um, uh, showing, demonstrating the technology. With uh, in in Korea, we monitored a, a bridge for three years. A typhoon went through, and the engineers were able to see exactly the response of the bridge. So you can see in terms of uh, catastrophes and so on. This could give you immediate information, which otherwise takes a very long time for somebody to go and physically inspect and say whether the structure is usable or not not usable, or what the status is, or how much damage was done. But by having uh, an autonomic system that can uh, uh, check against the reference values, can check the status, you could even, in this case, the bridge could make a call to the University of Illinois. We had set it up so that the bridge could call here in case of issues or something interesting happening. And when the typhoon went through, we were able to uh, typhoon Kimpasu went through while our
0: our monitoring system was deployed, so they could see the response to the typhoon. Any examples of catastrophes or information that you've caught through these sensors that have been really valuable in terms of uh, maybe moving a repair um, to the top of the line, uh, where you know, as you said, they only monitor it once every couple of years right yeah so that that is our goal we
1: are looking at some uh, potential applications now where there are questions about the bridges and uh and then see what kind of data we can get out of that uh, situation we have found some bridges which had been closed down and we could sort of identify uh, just in a pedestrian bridge we could uh, for in, in right here near illinois The bridge was a very old railroad bridge, which is now just a pedestrian bridge, and we were able to identify some parts that are weaker than others, and you could see that in the observations.
0: Give us an idea uh, of the governmental agencies uh, that are uh, others maybe that are using. They're coming to you and say, hey, we need to have this monitoring. Um, And then I guess the follow-up question is, can you give us an idea what the overall conditions are uh, bridges based on the, the uh, sensors that you've put on well so the, the bridges vary uh th- in fact
1: the infrastructure is all in pretty poor shape and uh the American Society of Civil Engineers has sort of done a global assessment and the bridges are, are uh, meriting a C or grade or worse um the much of the infrastructure in the US was built 50 over 50 years ago after world war 2 and so what you're looking at is uh, s- something that needs maintenance and needs upkeep and this technology can can really um, facilitate that process so
0: so where are we now and, you know, what, what's the next steps? Um, are You know, how many bridges are we talking about that your your sensors are on? You know, what percentage of uh, bridges around the country, that uh, sort of thing? Yeah, right. So yeah.
1: It, 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 we are still in the stage of doing demonstration projects. We do have a project with the Federal Railroad uh, Administration, the FRA, and we're doing some demonstrations for them and, and for the railroads and so we uh, we're doing sort of campaign style instrumentation of a number of bridges and we're also discussing with some insurance companies as a possibility so that's a technology that is getting that is getting transferred
0: we talk about sensors ha- uh sensors how many sensors are we talking about for a t- typical bridge uh, you mentioned a few of the things that they're monitoring but you know what are the things that that you're looking f- to to be able to record
1: yeah so we're recording typically uh, vibrations and strain. Uh, so in case of railroads, for example, we have this heavy train that goes by and we can look at the strain. So in in the end, what we do is then synthesize that information to look at displacements, how much it's getting displaced and what kind of vibrations y- you expect versus what you're getting. So tho- those values are, are the critical values that we're looking at. In terms of the number of sensors, it depends on the structure. So, for example, in a cable state bridge, we get every single cable and uh, and the pylons and every critical structure because anything that can move independently can be instrumented. And that instrumentation will give us information about how well that element of the structure is doing. Because damage is local. It's uh, n- not necessarily global. But if something is loose or broken, then that local damage can cause a problem in the entire structure even when it may not be initially visible in, in the larger structure. And by the time it's global, it's too late. Mm-hmm. So what we want to do is to monitor every single significant element of that bridge. So depending on the size of the structure, it might be from tens of sensors to hundreds of sensors. Uh, there, there are other applications. For example, uh, very uh, quite often you, you have trucks that hit o- overpasses, because they ha- haven't paid attention to the height restriction on the overpass, mm-hmm. and every now and then we see that it happens uh, in Champagne <laughs> <laughs> pretty regularly, actually. Yeah, there is. Uh, I think sp- uh, is it um, on on uh, Green Street or something. That I've seen actually uh, crossing uh, the the underpass under the railroad bridge, and sometimes it doesn't get reported. They just back off and and leave, and th- there has been an impact. Uh, but the impact could have caused damage by having sensors there. We could immediately record the fact, even that there is an impact, so we have uh, something called the trigger accelerometer, which is can be perpetually on and recording and if something interesting happened, it wakes up the network that's
0: that 's kind of uh, kind of sentry service as you will so do you see this as a, as an overhaul of how we are monitoring i mean is this is this um Make get gaining a lot of steam, if you will, and, and how quickly can, can all this be implemented? Well, so I-, I think that will be sort of a political and economic and question.
1: I think it, it can be, and eventually I think we will move to structures that are resilient. Uh, by uh, combining sensing with actuation, you can actually, for example, dampen vibrations and reduce the damage. Um, currently, we can only do this on a global scale. So, for example, in buildings you have uh, earthquake proofing by having a central weight. So what the central weight does is to dampen vibrations uh, which are global to the building. Now we could imagine instead of having hundreds of sensors and small actuators, for example, uh, like the uh, MR dampers in your car, which are these magnetic fluids that can be easily turned solid and magnetic um, liquids through the action of a magnet within milliseconds you could imagine uh, having the structure resilient by taking every floor every piece every room and allowing it the vibrations to be dampened inside parts of that structure and so not just globally but locally so what one can uh, so y- i think in the end we will have intelligence if you will uh, capabilities of uh, resisting forces by uh, allowing the structure of instead of the energy building up. So a very simple example for I- I- that people have in their physics, high school physics or something, soldiers marching across a bridge will be asked to break up their step. And the reason they have to break up the step is otherwise the energy will build up. Mm-hmm. Uh, similarly, if you have lots of sensors, they could be connected to actuators. They could keep the energy from building up and reduce... Damage across these structures. So I think that that's one area where we will see um, the future going. But the sensing is certainly a first part of that equation, which we have um, now an effective solution for.
0: So what I hear you saying is that as bridges are built and as they are repaired, um, these sensors then become, you know, just part of the project. And Mm -hmm. so that they are uh, being... Prepared with much more resilience, and so hopefully over time this will mean you know the bridges are in, are in much better shape right. um, going forward. Yes, and, and
1: we are able to retrofit bridges because with wireless sensors, all we have to do is attach the sensors. So within a matter of hours, we can instrument a bridge because we don't have to run cables and um, look for power sources and so on and of course then, then you know we have networking technology and energy management technology and uh, uh, software and application and so on so it is a massive effort that has gone behind that
0: so beyond bridges uh, what are some of the other projects that you're working on in particular with the with the actor model is in involved
1: yeah so we have uh, worked on the problem of coordination and reasoning so we have developed for example, ways of reasoning which combine uh, statistics with uh, so simulations and, st- and statistical methods with um, uh, rigorous formulas, temporal formulas which um, express in a logic what the behavior of the system is expected to be. So we are able to use certain techniques, something called statistical model checking, to scale up. We have also work. Uh, my group on energy and um, the complexity of reducing the energy uh, consumption of of software, which is parallel. So the uh, slower you can run a processor, uh, the more energy efficient it is. And typically, uh, it can be a square of the speed at which the processor runs. Um, The power consumption is a cube, energy is power times how long you use it for, power is the rate at which you consume the energy, and so the relation is is a square relation. Certain algorithms are amenable to being more parallel, so we've studied sort of those kinds of properties. In testing, we developed some methods to look at the uh, symbolic execution of programs and combine that with concrete execution in ways that improve testing and then look at uh, ways of reducing the... Um, a number of possible combinations of things you have to consider. Because when you have parallelism, then uh, you could have many different combinations I- in which uh, messages may go forth or interactions may happen. So, for example, if one process sends three messages and another one sends two messages, then you have um, uh, any of these three messages could arrive in any order with respect to these two messages and so this blows up exponentially the number of possibilities each combination can lead to a different uh, outcome so we need we have developed ways of reducing the number of combinations you have to consider by looking at the structure of the of the computation uh, we are developing some higher level languages to express interactions between uh, between actors so that's that's an active area of computation um, of of our research and um, uh, and currently, I'm teaching a course in smart cities. So all of these technologies uh, for modeling, for simulation, massive parallelism, cloud computing, sensor networks, Internet of Things. So these are technologies for smart cities that can build uh, in in the context of these um, of society. So th- that's a course I'm teaching as part of City Scholars in um, in Chicago. Which in, you know, UIUC has a the university has a, a program in Chicago for students, which is now going to be part of the Discovery Partners Institute um, under, under that umbrella, which is a $500 million uh, endeavor from supported by the state of Illinois to improve translational research and technology development in in the Chicago area. So the, in, the, in this course, I'm uh, d- the students are working with these technologies, and they're getting a kind of hands-on uh, tutorials and experience and and broader concepts many of the smart city courses have been involved with urban planning and uh, different sort of focus and here the focus is in terms of of the computing technologies that go into it so that's an area that interests Mm -hmm. me and the internet of things is an obvious place for the actor model for example
0: well i think uh, the smart cities is a a subject for for a future podcast, and certainly we'd like to have you back to to talk a little bit about that. But we uh, we appreciate your time here today. Uh, certainly, bridges are in the mind of a, of a lot of people, um, and and the actor model and and um, the ways that it can be applied. Um, you know, um, so we appreciate uh, you coming in, and uh, we look forward to talking to you down the road. Thank you very much. It was a pleasure. Gulaga has been our guest. This is another edition of Illinois Innovators. I'm your host, Mike Kuhn. Illinois Innovators is a production of Engineering at Illinois. All rights reserved. We invite you to subscribe to the podcast through iTunes or SoundCloud by searching Engineering at Illinois. We hope you'll help grow our core of listeners by leaving a favorable rating on iTunes.